What's going on, everybody? I'm Will Button, the Lone Ranger host for today's episode of Adventures in DevOps, but I'm not solo. We've got Will Kelly returning podcast guest here to talk with us today, and we are talking about the transition from DevOps to DevSecOps. Will, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Will. I'm glad to be back. I'm excited to have you back and looking forward to this chat. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So give us a high-level overview of um, DevOps to DevSecOps transition. I'm still doing a lot of writing for Red Hat's open source. So last spring, they they published a collection of my articles in an ebook about DevOps to DevSecOps transformation. Interesting, DevSecOps, for the people who are just sort of sniffing around it right now, it's bringing security further closer into DevOps. You're bringing it into the DevOps processes that, that we all know and are building towards. So it's addressing code quality, security, and reliability, and reliability assurance. It's adding a lot more automation, uh, bringing in continuous security and compliance. Organizations that are have to adhere to starting Doxley, PCI, DSS, and other similar compliance programs a candidates for DevSecOps. Additionally, the way I view the DevOps market right now, it's always constantly evolving. It's always constantly changing. Eventually, I can see in the next couple of years where the DevOps discussions that a lot of a lot of organizations are having right now are, are just going to be subsumed by DevSecOps. And that's going to be other movements that are pushing towards that software supply chain and just the general breach of the week that that we've been that, that we've seen be having over the past couple of years. The other important thing that I say about that the move to DevOps Dev SecOps is also it's another step in that DevOps cultural transformation. Just like you can't buy DevOps, you can't buy DevSecOps and 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 security. You have to bring your people along with it. And, and I'm not talking about just your developers, just your sysadmins and, and operations. I'm talking about the whole team and the team that's 
and, and, and the business people that support them. Yeah, I I kind of I kind of like it. At first, when I first heard the term DevSecOps, you know, I wasn't really a fan of it. But over time, I kind of started to like it because I think it highlights the need for security and bringing it into the DevOps realm. You know, we've tried to do security. You you and I both been doing this for a long time. We've tried to do security as a bolt on after the fact thing, and it just doesn't work. And so. I really like the approach of just saying, Hey, this is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how it's automated. And then it just happens automatically. And I, I think that's really the only way we're going to see like a long term embracing of security and like making it something that happens on a regular cadence instead of manual lifts after the fact. I definitely agree with you. I've come from a far more traditional software development and security background. And the days of just bulking on security at the end are they're gone. And I've had the opportunity to see DevOps and DevSecOps in the commercial and public sector both. And the really interesting thing about DevSecOps adoption is there are actually elements of the government that are making real inroads into it. And that's because there are security requirements, there are compliance requirements, are playing at much higher stakes than back in the commercial world. So the security needs rise. People try and do more with less as more people move to, if more people move to it the cloud, the DevSecOps future. That's why I see the DevOps conversation as we know it right now going away over time where where we're just going to be talking about DevSecOps instead of DevOps. Yeah, it's a good point. There's, uh, you know, so as we write more and more code and build more and more applications, the number of security tasks that we have just increases alongside that and automation is the only way we're going to be able to stay on top of it. Exactly. Jonathan, what's going on? Hey guys, I thought I'd crash your party here and see how your security is or if I can just kind of sneak in here. Well, welcome. Happy to have you here. I was having some hardware problems. No. Were they security related? Probably. (laughs) Uh, USB ports were flipping out and doing all sorts of crazy stuff, and I had to reboot a few times, and then finally I'm here. Nice. Well, we're excited to have you. We're talking about the transition of DevOps to DevSecOps. Yeah, I was just looking at the article. Interesting topic. It is. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, so I've actually been asked a few times about this, and my feeling is that DevOps should include Sec. But if it doesn't, then, you know, if, if calling it DevSecOps uh, adds some visibility or, or some focus, then by all means, call it whatever you want. Call it, call it DevSec, customer, children, I love my wife ops if you want. I don't care. If it helps you do something <laughs> useful, call it that. <laughs> I wrestled with something that's similar to what Jonathan had just said because as somebody who, who's written on a lot of these, on a lot of these ops related, Topics for for publications. We've certainly hit in a time of peak ops in our industry. Where everything <laughs> is, is an yeah. there's GitOps, there's Agile Ops, there's DevOps, there's DevSecOps, there's Doc Ops, Cloud Ops, ML Ops, AI Ops, and, 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 and the list and the list goes on. 
However, when I took a step back and, and after being just battered by by those trends, there's a case for consolidation, and and, and I sort of I sort of subscribe to the the view of is that DevOps is a lot more flexible, a lot more adaptable than, than the old ways of doing things, and that's why I see that DevOps and, and DevSecOps are eventually going eventually going to come together. Operations teams and, de- and DevOps teams, it behooves them to look at the best practices that, that, that are coming out of those other ops and seeing how they can improve their own practices. I disagree that we should all run, that we should all run down the path to, to for the next great ops trend, but <laughs> security, like security, that the importance of that, the correct you know, the growing importance of that, you know, the changing threat sectors, I think, I see as making DevSecOps stand out from just the peak ops world that we're in. Yeah, security definitely deserves its own special attention. Like you said, it's kind of, I mean, it, it's central. No matter what other ops things you're doing, whether it's, like you said, GitOps or MLOps or whatever, you need security in all of those. So, you know, security is pretty central. I think there's a strong argument there. I think one of the benefits to actively addressing it, I was talking recently with someone, and I'm going to leave the company name out because I, I think I remember who I was talking to, which is kind of weird, but I, I can't be certain. But they, um, they're subject to PCI compliance, and they have actively embraced doing a DevSecOps type movement. And for their PCI audit for the last couple years, they've said that it's been a breeze because every time the auditor comes in, they just point them to their automation pipeline and say, here's what gets done with, with every build. And then the auditor will be like, well, who has access to this? Well, no one does just the, just the automation pipeline. And it's actually simplified their life for doing PCI audits to the point where, you know, they just point the auditor to their, their tool and their processes and go on their way. And if you've ever been through a, a PCI audit, that's normally not the case. Usually it's a couple months of meetings and arguments and negotiations followed by pleading and begging. And then they finally issue your certificate. <laughs> I was on one PCI DSS audit earlier in my career and it left a nice little bruise on my forehead. <laughs> it just left a nice little bruise where it, it, it was every, I mean, I'm not a developer, but every compliance project I've ever been on, every audit I've been on has been incredibly painful for, for the entire team and the managers and the stakeholders and the executives above them. So when you look at the automation benefit of DevSecOps and the the simplification, especially just where we're at right now with the pandemic, a lot of teams are working remotely, and a lot of layoffs, unfortunately, the great resignation, that automation of, of security, it it has more benefits just outside of just that, of just compliance program. And the, and the smart organizations, the forward thinking ones are going to tap into that to gain more of a market dominance, more of a market leadership 
position. There's still a lot of cultural changes and a lot of internal education and outreach, just like there was for the move to DevOps. Because unfortunately, whether the economy is good or bad or in between, the development team hears the word automation is inevitably gonna is, is inevitably gonna be something somebody's gonna do I still have a job. Yeah, that's a really good point that I hadn't thought of just the onboarding new team members. You know, if, if your security checks and constraints are automated, it makes that process a lot easier and results in less training and also less risk for the business because you don't have to try to remember that I tell the new guy that we have to do this. Yeah, there, I, mean, there, I mean, there's a lot of work around that. I mean, <laughs> the first step with any real, that first move in, in the devs, psychops, I've always tried to point to that analysis, education, and, and training. Because the other thing is, there's going to be executives who, who, when they see the word automation, they go, ooh, cost saving. Ooh, you know, you have to educate your developers, your ops teams, their leads, the executives, over them of exactly what automation is what it isn't, what the time savings and the potential cost savings are going to be in those compliance audit scenarios, but as well as the the potential positive impacts to the quality and the security of the software as it's delivered. There's that education and training part also, and security has to become everybody's job in in the world of DevSecOps. That's not just the developers. That's just not the office. That's just not the oper- the operations team and sys admins. I'm also talking the QA team. I'm talking the technical writers. I'm talking even the people who are selling the product. DevSecOps gives corporations and companies, small and large, more of an opportunity to drive home a, a security story that is real and can be validated. So do you think that education process is different depending on the audience? Like, is it different? The story you tell to your executives, is that different than the one that you tell to the development teams or maybe not different, but highlight different or present the story in a different way? Yes. Yes. Yes, I do. I'm, it's not traditional change management by any means. This isn't something that you're going to want your company's change management team to, to push through. The industry will say, I you know it's a security advocate that, that pushes these stories and these changes. I still believe that, that there needs to be that DevSecOps advocate. Person's going to, person can be the security ad, advocate as well but you need somebody that has trust of the internal teams you need somebody that they've worked with you need somebody who hasn't been sitting on sort of the sidelines and just watching things getting out there and talking to the the developers and the ops teams and advocating for 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 that change then you need to sort of distill another version of that story for the executives that are higher up the food chain. That even if some of them are technical, they're not necessarily going to 
the year since I've been a down in the weeds programmer. You're going to want to, before you go talk to them, is understand what their pain points are. Is the CTO worried about uh, software quality, the number of bugs? Is, is the, is the CISO concerned about, uh, about compliance programs? Is the CEO just plain worried about delivering software on time that, that, that the customers will buy? You need to do that sort of more small group, one-to-one discussions, develop those relationships because you're still want to, you're going to want to be able to build the feedback loops of when things are working right and when things are working wrong. And as DevOps has changed, so so will DevSecOps change. There's going to be other discoveries, other lessons learned, and you want to be able to communicate them on a continuous basis to to the people who are of interest. And sometimes sometimes when when you're dealing with that executive level audience is look for ways to improve your 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 reporting on on security, not come your DevSecOps pipeline, build dashboards, take moves to increase observability that puts out data in a format that's going to resonate with them. Take that level of reporting off of the development team to see where you can automate it. So if an executive wants to take a look at how things are going, boom, just go right, just go right to that dashboard that's updated. Hey, folks, I'm here with JD from Raycon. You know, JD, we were talking just a second ago about empathy, and it seems like a common concept within the programming community. And yet, when we're building features for customers, a lot of times we call it done when it passes CI, deploys, and doesn't give us errors. And that really doesn't seem very empathetic when it comes to our customers because we're not looking at what they're doing. Do you have thoughts on this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at, at the end of the day, until until your code actually hits the customer, um, you don't really know if it's any good. Uh, you know, everybody uses things in so many different weird and wonderful ways. You can only really debug in production. Um, yeah, I've been there. It's old, done. Yeah. It's not done. Oh, crap. It's not done. <laughs> I got to go fix it. Now it's done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And when we see things like error reports flowing into Raygun, right. you know, a lot of the time it's things where you just kind of go, oh, that was a configuration that as a developer, mm-hmm. I, I didn't think could exist, but actually here's an example. And so it's connecting that code to customer and your development team through to real users and their experiences, which to your point, builds real empathy. And the best software teams care a lot about how their customers are experiencing their software. Right. It's kind of the feedback from the app, but it's also kind of this meta feedback as we do better, we tend to get less of this negative input back from our customer, which really does reflect empathy. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think to your point earlier about CICD pipelines, like we've done an amazing amount of work as an industry to automate getting to prod really fast. But if you really want to go super fast, you need to close that loop with real-time feedback from prod back to the dev team. And that allows them to do things like fail forward and just do, you know, really leverage that investment in CICD and, and it can turn into a real superpower. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to encourage you folks folks, yeah, set up your CICD, but then go sign up for Raygun. They'll actually give you a free trial and you can get it at raygun.com. Right on. Jonathan, I see you nodding your head over there. Anything you want to add to that? Not really. I mean, I, I agree with what he's saying. I do have some questions, but I feel like I, mean, I, I can jump into them now, but it's, it's a change of, change of direction. <laughs> so my, my big, I, I, I deal a lot with small 
teams and small companies where security is often an afterthought. That they're, you know, especially here to in an early stage startup, you maybe almost intentionally don't care about security because your goal is, I need product market fit. If we leak the three passwords we have right now, nobody cares. <laughs> but but eventually you do start to care because eventually you have thousands of passwords and you start to have credit card numbers or whatever it is relates to your business. How do you go? And I know that's sort of the topic of this this article you shared with us, but how do you go from like security has always sort of been a, yeah, one day we'll get to it idea to, okay, now we're going to make an integral part of our business. Like what, what are some first steps? Because they're just, I mean, I think to most people, most CEOs, most engineers in these situations, it seems so overwhelming. They don't even want to think about it. Can, can you break it down? What are some simple steps you can do to start in the right direction? That's, that's a really interesting question. I think you have to take a step back when when, when you're planning your development environments. Is, tr- is try to have an eye for is, is try to have an eye for growth. It's an easy assumption to make that the early stage startups are rolling their own DevOps tool, tool chains from open source is a lot along the way. Start trying to pull in some of those open source security tools that are out there and, and put them in your tool chain. Start to experiment with them. It's easy to be reactive in a startup. But they also have the advantages of being able to pivot. When you're hiring developers and sys admins, look for that DevOps or DevSecOps experience. Look for people who are, who, who have a track record of successfully building out development efforts and security initiatives inside your company. Start small and build out. Stick to open source. So, you're not going to wake up one day and all of a sudden you got the one big marquee customer that can make or break your business or landing them is, is going to be that one account that's going to make, that's going to make you serious, your potential serious to invest in the, these guys got game. It's build slowly. It's easy to ignore, but when it comes to security at that stage, but build that culture to be to be able to, to pivot. Another argument is try and build that security culture from, from from the beginning. Instead of just having those thoughts of DevOps, just jump right to DevSecOps. If you're building with containers, look for open source container security tools where you can automate. Look and start building it out gradually. Most of so many startups are always tweaking their tool chains anyway. Tweak it with security tools. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then as you get larger and larger, you can always go back, document, and then iterate and, and build out, out maturity. Startups can use that culture of iteration and pivoting to their security advantage, even if security is not at top of mind. Mm-hmm. What are the, what are the first areas that you would recommend a, a company look at? I mean, I can see somebody saying, oh, we're, we're going to start running Dependabot on all of our repos and actually GitHub kind of does that for you for free these days. Or we're going to start running some DAS tools or, you know, but, but there's so much they could do. I mean, if, if, if they start running, uh, security scanners, all their Docker images, but all their passwords are stored in plain text somewhere. Are they, are they focusing on the right thing and how do they know what to focus on? That, that's a challenging question. I mean, 
inevitably at the early stage, you need to take stock of, of somewhat of a security road. Mm-hmm. And that security road map is going to be the obvious. I need to, you know, I have secrets I need to protect that password. I, I need stuff. I need to tough to lock down. Scanning up containers is an easy win. The balance those early stage startups have to find is not going down the security rabbit hole. So it started that low hanging fruit or that wet fish that could slap somebody upside of the face and embarrass them <laughs> and, yeah. and build out from, from there. The other thing early stage startups need Need to con- need to contemplate is find out some some of those security paths for their more senior developers mm-hmm. to to build out. Sure. If their CTO is still a, a CTO who who's coding every day and there's not the budget for a chief security officer or even just somebody focused on 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 cyber security, just delegate those tasks out. Focus on open source tools. Focus on learning. Focus on that cross-pollination of expertise. If you bring in, if you hire a developer from very strong container background who has that container security expertise, you know, he's willing to dive further into it, or he's or, or he's already comes from a, a shop where they did a lot of that work, where they were doing a lot of that work. That guy becomes your point person for container security. If somebody else that has a grounding or an expertise in cloud security, that, that becomes that cloud security point person. The trick is, it, it's just try and document those efforts, even at just the note stage, and, you know, in a wiki or something like get guru, just so you know the work has been done. So for that day, when, when you do have to mature, well, when a customer says, we need you to become Sarbanes-Oxley compliant, we need you to get SOC 2, you already have a start. Would you recommend that a company hire, like a, a company, a, 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 one of these early stage startups, they're getting, they're starting to think about security. Would you recommend they hire like a security audit company to come in and, and do a deep audit and, and point them at the things they should be looking at? Or, or should they try to do their own homework first? What's the right order of operations there? The right order of operations is building your security expertise in-house first. Okay. When, when you're building that minimum viable product, when, when, when you're planning that roadmap, it, it, you know, it, it start laying the ground for your security. The investment, that heavy investment in a security audit should be customer driven. Let's say mm-hmm. if that startup is targeting an industry where stock two is a necessity and they know that, and they know that investment in that security audit is bankable, which is worth it, which Let's send in the door of potential future customers. It's definitely a financial decision that that they should consider, but it needs to be business and sales driven at the earliest stages. I like that. Bring the biz in, so now we have biz dev secops, right? I think there is a biz dev ops actually. I'm sure there is. Hey, I've certainly seen biz dev ops, so it's a peak ops world. <laughs> what are some mistakes that you see companies make 
uh, when it comes to implementing biz, or I'm sorry, uh, DevSecOps? You know, what, what are the common pitfalls? I think the common pitfalls I've seen in the industry and, and, and from people I've spoken to during the course of the articles I've written, there's still that misconception out there that you can buy DevSecOps. You can buy just like the misconception of buying DevOps. There's a lack of the focus. There's a lack of focus on the people. There's a disregard of sort of, of any sort of a maturity model. You know, there's going to be the pre DevOps world. There's going to be those, there's going to be that early DevOps, DevSecOps adoption. Then there's going to be more of a full transition. Until, until an organization is finally at sort of full dev set ops. There's no, they missed the consideration of the, the methodology part, that maturity part. It's not a turnkey effort at this time. Yeah. Okay. So we can't just adopt Scrum and say we've done dev set ops. We have to, we have to actually think about it a little bit. <laughs> or, or yeah, we're agile. We work really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Not on the right things, but we're really fast at them. <laughs> exactly, and that ha- you know, I, I I've been in an organization or two where that was their definition of agile. Right, <laughs> absolutely. We're <laughs> really fast. The other thing you can't forget with the, with that. Psychops is the people element, that outreach, that education, that managing of the changing expectations and, and the real and implied power that, that, that that can sometimes affect inside an organization. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how this just resonates with the same conversations I remember having when DevOps was really starting to gain traction and it's, it's, you know, it's not something you can buy. It's a cultural movement. We have to start internally in the team talking about what's important to us. How do we implement it? And then moving steps forward to that and then spreading that message out to the teams that we support and interact with and moving forward that way. And it's, it's an iterative approach. You know, it's not something that you can just say. Oh, corporate's announced we're doing DevSecOps and uh, right-click save as and then move on to your next ticket. I think what also sort of hampers that DevOps, the DevSecOps transformation is the bad reputation that change management teams have inside some organizations where regardless of what your personal feelings are on the state of change management, there's plenty of developers and technical people who see them as more business prevention. That's why <laughs> I always recommend that you have to build those advocates. The teams have to be pushing the, tra- the, the transformation and doing the work rather than sort of being on a Zoom call while somebody's helping PowerPoint slides at them if this is what we're going to do. Cause, cause that helps build buy-in. That helps draw on that expertise because DevSecOps is like get DevOps. You can get five developers on a team from five different places and they'll give you probably five different definitions. So when you get those people together under the right management, the right leadership, that 
that lets you cherry pick and and mold and push forward with the DevSecOps approach that, that is right for your organization, not when a vendor is kind of shoved down your throat. Yeah, you know, you've said a couple of times, and I think it's worth specifically highlighting of building advocates outside of your team from people who are going to be impacted by this and not only building them as advocates, but also understanding what their needs, goals and desires are and seeing how those overlap with the, the changes that you're proposing, because that's really how you get a cross departmental movement really going forward when everyone sees what's in it for them. Sometimes your biggest DevSecOps advocate could be your sales team. Yeah. And and that in some cultures, you know, where sales and development are natural enemies in the wild might be hard to take at first. But the simple fact is if, if that salesman is able to close more deals and, and deliver because because you're delivering more secure and more compliant software. That's somebody who's attached to where the money is, you know, is making the money for the company. So their advocacy has a lot more, can have a lot more push and punch than, than maybe some assistant vice president, you know, that nobody really knows what they do. Yeah. That's a really great point. If you can arm your sales team with something that they could, with the security related fact that they could use as their sales process that helps them close more deals. You're, you're going to be the, their hero and you're also going to have um, some very vocal advocates in the rest of the organization as a result. And then you bring in your product marketing and your product managers who then, who are then in a better position to highlight those security related features. And create that security focused messaging, you know, that's going to resonate with your customers. It falls once again, as things commonly do, that a large part of what we do in DevOps and DevSecOps is not actually the technical aspect of it, but the communications aspect of it. And we touched on that the last time I was on the show. In the end, DevSecOps is it's another step in improving collaboration as well. It's a, we can sit here and talk all we want to about the security and the technical aspects and, and the improvements that, that result from it. But it comes down also that so much of this stuff is, is a people game. Yeah. It doesn't matter if, if you're an extrovert or the most introverted engineer who doesn't want to talk to anybody. It's still trying to break down those silos. It's still trying to automate things and get information across that took a couple of extra steps before that, that may have taken some people extra time that can now be devoted to more strategic and money making tasks that, that you didn't have time in a pre-DevSecOps world. There's always going to be that bad experience of the last audit. I've seen those bad experiences last linger in an organization for months, if not years. A victory with DevSecOps, a victory with a move to DevSecOps after that is those stories become less and less or, or those stories don't become as, as, as horrific as it may have won. For sure. Cool. Anything else we should talk about in uh, the transition? I think the other thing that 
organizations have to look have to look to with the transition is all the new attention on the software supply chain and software supply chain security. The future of that with the automation and the automation requirements that that are going to come from that and the security challenges. It's another it's another future home of DevSecOps practices and tools. Whether it's the automation of container scanning, whether it's whether it's the automation of the generation of software bills of material, it's it's going to be another part of the DevSecOps future in my mind. Yeah, and there's a lot to take on, so don't feel like you have to solve all of the problems at once. You know, just pick one thing and chip away at it. And that's where at least DevSecOps, you know, it's set up for organizations to do that. You can set out a roadmap. You can set out a maturity model. Whether you're that early stage startup or a large enterprise that that is trying to shore up their development security practices, you don't have to do it all overnight. You can set a roadmap. You can set priorities. And, and you're in a position to iterate on that and pivot as necessary. That's, that's the great, that's perhaps something that enough, not enough people talk about when it comes to dev suck ops is the adaptability of it because it's not, because security challenges are not one size fits all. Yeah. And in many cases, when you start addressing those security issues, it, it's likely that that just teaches you enough to show you that you actually have other security issues that you didn't know about and so it's okay to change. Yeah, there's always that security rabbit hole you're gonna find. That comes down that comes down to with the with the development team, the security team, setting those setting those priorities and deciding what needs to be tackled right now and what can be deferred to a backlog. Yeah, right on. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and, in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships, and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Should we do some picks? All right. Jonathan, have you got a pick for us? I have two picks today. Oh, bring them on. Yeah, I know. This is going to be exciting. Uh, where did <laughs> I go? I had it ready. So my first pick is, there's this podcast I've been listening to, sort of, called Adventures in DevOps. Ooh. And they had an episode a couple, a uh, few weeks ago, episode number 121, called Reducing On-Call Engineer Burnout with Volunteer Management Infrastructure. And I just want to, I want to pick that episode because we're, we're doing that now at, at the job I'm, I'm at. And I'm on my first, I'm the first person on call for the week. So, I'm on call and we're using the strategy discussed in that episode, episode 121 of Adventures in DevOps. So that's my first pick. Is that okay? Is it okay to, to, to pick the show itself? <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think, I think that I actually should be like a rule going forward now that every so often we have to, 
<laughs> do the old hashtag shameless self-promotion. <laughs> so that, that's my first pick. And my second pick, if you're new to the show, you, you probably haven't heard me talk about this. If, you've, if you're a long-time listener, you've heard me say, and you can tell from my accent, that I'm not from Europe, even though I, I live in Europe. I'm, I'm American. I was Wait, born in what? Oklahoma. What? I know. It's crazy. Born in Oklahoma. I went to high school in Kansas. So I'm a Midwest boy. But I live in Europe now for the last seven years. And there's a few things about home I miss. Not not very many, but there's a few. Uh, not, not not counting. <laughs> no, not per se. <laughs> Although, man, a good old American milkshake would, would hit the spot. The, the milkshakes here are just so runny and they're just not the same. But I finally broke down last week and ordered a case of dill pickles. So I'm picking dill pickles because I haven't had a good dill pickle in so long. <laughs> So there you have it. Adventures in DevOps episode 121 and eat some dill pickles. All right. What about you, Will? Have you got any picks for us this episode? I read the, the book Build by Tony Fidel when, when I was on a business trip. If you want to get started with that um, behind the scenes, look at how the iPod and a lot of those seminal Apple moments happened around it. I highly recommend the, the book. He takes a, a very non-academic perspective about product development with the I like. And could my second one be a shameless self-promotion? Oh, absolutely. Highly recommended. Oh, 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 I've got one, man. So you better hold on. Better hold on. I was laid off last week. But oh. if anybody is looking for a product marketer or content marketer with a background in DevOps and cloud with a wide body of work, Publics on those su- on those subjects. You can find me on LinkedIn or or on Twitter. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. We will include your contact details in the show notes. And I appreciate that. yeah, and it's a it's a great fit because from listening to the podcast, you already know a little bit about Will. So give him a shout and uh, and see what comes out of it. All right, my pick. I'm just going to pick one this week. I've read. A book called Endure by Cameron Haynes, and it's super cool. If you have read Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins, it's along that similar vein where it just makes you want to throw everything down and go for a 40-mile run, even though you've probably never run past your refrigerator in the last 10 years. But it's super, I found it super motivational. He's a guy who just grew up in Oregon, small town, Love to go bow hunting. And the book is about his journey of just becoming a better bow hunter. And it's, I found it pretty inspirational. And uh, so yeah, Cameron Haynes, Endure. That's my pick of the week. Are you going to be trying out for the next Hunger Games then? Dude, I would love to. I'm thinking like, what's that? Uh, there's like the American Ninja where it's like an I obstacle I, I, I course. I live in Europe. I don't know anything about that. It, it's like a, it's like a, an obstacle course TV show. I'm thinking that, but along the way, you know, you have to do dexterity tasks like shooting at a target with a, a gun or a bow. I'm thinking that's the route to go. Awesome. Yeah. David Coggins, his story is just wild. It is. I love that story. I can't help but think, you know, he's pretty hardcore and he's definitely motivated. But I kind of feel like there's probably a need for him to talk to a therapist, too, and just like maybe address some of those issues that are 
driving him to run 200 miles across the desert instead of talking to a therapist. Maybe there's a happy medium there. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. Well, no, it's really funny. I, I, they've been working a lot in the D.C. area. And years ago, I had a client who was a former Navy SEAL, and he was in his 50s or 60s at the time. His joke was he hadn't worked out in 15 years since he got out of the Navy because he did all the working out he needed to do when he was in the Navy. <laughs> and the guy was still in absolute shape. And he's just like, I did all of that, you know, because I don't have to do it anymore. I checked the box. Let's move on. <laughs> I've exercised enough because I've swam, I've run. But the same talking story takes that, you know, many more steps. Yeah, I mean, I for sure. He's like a backwoods firefighter or something, like one of those smoke jumpers. Yeah, he is. He is. I um I bought the book and, and gave it to my youngest son because that's what my youngest son does. And so I'm like showing him a picture. I'm like, if you ever see this guy on one of the sites that you're working on, get a picture with him for me. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I believe we have an episode. Will, thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure chatting with you and good luck in your job search. And if you're looking for someone with Will's skills and talents, be sure and hit him up. And I think why that would actually, be why, why don't you just shout out your, your Twitter and LinkedIn handle just in case somebody isn't at a place where they can easily look at the show notes. On Twitter, I am at W-I-L-L-K-E-L-L-Y at Will Kelly. And on LinkedIn, I'm at LinkedIn.com forward slash I-N forward slash W-I-L-L-K-E-L-L-Y. Will Kelly. Super simple. Will Kelly, both places. Awesome. Excellent. Great. All right. Look forward to next time. Thanks for, thanks for another great interview session. I enjoyed my time. Cool. Likewise. See you guys. Thanks. Cheers. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.